0: What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for episode 214 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with John Eames from episode 27. You might remember him as my longtime friend, travel buddy, partner in crime, person I've lived with all around the world in so many different places as an expat, just shared so many adventures. Well, I brought him back on, talk about two of the most important things that we feel budget travelers, travelers in general need. To take that first trip to travel. It's extreme. I get it. We've done a lot of extreme travels together, but this is if you really break down the bare bones of what you really need to travel, you only need two things. I'm going to wait and let you hear a discussion throughout the episode on how we talk about it, what we talk about. Go on a few tangents, but it's fun. You can hear me reminiscing with him, the enthusiasm I have from our conversations always just brings me back to how much I love what I get to do with my life, in my life, with the people I surround myself with. So many beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there. Thank you, Johnny, for taking the time. If you're a first-time listener, please hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to this on. If you like this episode, give it a share. We'd appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to MisfitsandRejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, or you can head over to patreon.com and give a monthly donation. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. As you'll hear from the excitement in my voice, just chopping it up with my old friend is such a pleasure and brings back so many fun memories and so much more motivation and inspiration to keep designing the life that I love, that I want to maintain for the rest of my life, at least as of now and how I perceive what I want out of life. But it's a cool conversation and I have no doubt you'll enjoy it. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with John Eames. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy.
1: I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes.
0: And quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear.
1: And right there, for any
0: of your listeners, A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the
1: fact I just went and did it.
0: Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined with John Eames from episode 27. You might remember him, my best friend from childhood, my best friend since when we first met, when we were two years old. Um, The man who's traveled the world with me and I with him, and we've built some really cool experiences together. Having him back on to kind of go through what we both agree are the kind of not 10 commandments because we didn't really come up with 10 but a few things that i think all budget budget travelers should know travelers in general should know and ways you can kind of get around the world really cheap so with that said john welcome back
1: hey thanks Chapin. thanks for having me it's good to be back
0: yeah it's fun once you give the audience a little update on where you're at right now presently and maybe how you got there or yeah just give us a little update it's been a while since we heard from you
1: yeah well i got a I'm 42. I got 4 kids by 3 different women and I live in my mom's basement. <laughs> so, I'm coming I'm I'm going back to my roots, <laughs> which is which is awesome. I couldn't be happier about any of it. So it's like I don't really trip. It, from the outside it looks like, you know, sometimes a a shit life if you're trying to judge me by the standards of making it in the Bay Area cuz I mean, I meet up with my neighbors who are great techies that do great things that make a bunch of money and Got their own houses, only around my age too, and uh, just different paths. You know, it's like you got to compare yourself with the people that you are, or the people you want to be. And I never wanted to be one for money, so they don't trip me out. So I get to be myself in kind of a new element and in a kind of old world for a lot of the people around me, old friends. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And even though it's like. I don't consider myself a traveler much anymore because like, I don't, I live in my mom's basement. I'm actually making it better right now. <laughs> I'm pimping out the basement, but it's like, I, I was in Nicaragua. I was in Germany this year, uh, or I'm not sure if my son, was. I was in Germany. Definitely. I still get around a little bit, taking COVID tests to do things. And, um, and, but you know, shape like, uh, I'm sure at a point you're going to mention this, but we kind of talked about, uh, what we'll talk about and. And it's still um, traveling on a budget is still kind of just second nature because, I mean, damn it, we did it for so long. It's like it's really riding a bike. So I feel comfortable communicating what I remember and what I think I still know and what it is I'm going to try to instill in my kids. Because, I mean, now that I'm not traveling and I'm not living a traveling lifestyle so much with my kids and my roots are I'm setting some roots down. I still got to think about how I'm going to teach my kids to travel. And, uh, cause that's going to be important. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm here good, with you, man.
0: That's a good jumping off point because you aren't like, we're not on the road 24 7. You know, we, we set roots in Nicaragua where we've talked, you know, past episodes about, which I'll put in the show notes for anybody who wants to hear more about John and our adventures together. But, um, your recent stint in Germany, I think, is a good place to start because pre show we both agreed in our opinions of two lifelong travelers that the only two things you need to travel are passport and time. And the audience might be jumping and being like, Oh wait, you need money too. And I think you and I both agree. Like you don't need money to travel. You can get anywhere you want in this world with no money. As long as you have a passport and enough time. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, definitely, (laughs) hundred percent.
0: Cool. So let's jump in just real quick on a a quick story. I'd love you to love to have you share to the audience to give some perspective on how committed you are to kind of this way of travel, this lifestyle. Because you mentioned you just recently been in Germany. You spent quite a bit of time there. um, You know, preparing for your new son, who is now almost a year. Um, And you had your whole family there. You had all your little girls, and there at one point you had every one of them on a bicycle pedaling around Germany and staying at, you know, what was it, um, hot showers you're utilizing?
1: Warm showers.
0: So warmshowers.com, can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, it's like couch surfing for cyclists. I'm not sure how popular it is now with COVID, but um, when we were still in Germany kind of pre-COVID, it was functioning and, and great, and I'm sure if people communicated through Warm Showers about social distancing, they can still kind of do it because options are camping in people's gardens, you know, other cyclists. So it was great. And warm showers was something that I learned about in Nicaragua from a cyclist that I that I approached on the street explaining, because I had, I had ridden that bicycle for so long. And I was like, hey, I rode a bicycle for a long time. I got a house here. If you want to come crash on my house, crash on my house. And then he did. And then he was like, hey, do you know of warm showers? And I was like, no. And then he's like, dude, it's like couch surfing for cyclists. And I got on. I ended up being the first one in Nicaragua And then they started coming through, and we got, like, 50 a year. And sometimes they would stay for a night. Sometimes they'd stay for, like, five months. So if you can imagine if you're doing the ride from, like, Alaska to Patagonia, and you were, you know, on that trek, and you committed years of it, and you come across a beach spot where – you know, you're welcomed and you get to exchange some work for, for food and shelter. It's like, because after my rule was, is three days, warm showers. And then after three days, if you want to spend more than that, you got to start, you know, carrying some weight around here, which was the volunteer program they could just slide right into, which was always easy. But, um, so I put the, so I'm in Germany and I had never been a recipient. I'd never been a, a guest. I've only been the host and I have like, I think, I think upwards to 40 to 60 comments on, on my hosting. And I, I have never been able to write a single one that, about me being a guest. And I, in Germany, I, I had time to plan. I, my girls learned how to ride bicycles, shitty little kid bicycles, but nonetheless, they pedaled. And then I had a trailer I found on the side of the street, hooked it up to my bike, put some provisions, and then I could throw the kids and the bikes on the trailer. It was overloaded. And then make up for lost time because the kids are, I mean, Kala was like four years old, for maybe just turning five because it was that summer, turning five, learning how to ride a bicycle, still couldn't stop or start by herself, and we rode from the Dutch border, basically, which is Goch, on the D- Dutch border, three kilometers from the D- Dutch border, to Cologne, which was four days, and we stay, we stayed three nights in um, in warm showers, which I still keep in touch with one, one of the peoples, as as people still keep in touch with us, you know, from Higante. So I got to write some reviews too about being a guest and yeah, so we're still traveling and I, and I showed the kids, you know, you don't have to pay money for that. And you go to the grocery stores in the morning and shape you and I, we used to eat out of dumpsters in Stockholm waiting for our Russian visas. So one level further, if you really got no cash, all these first world nations have, you know, a bunch of uh, reserves in different ways. And especially with the internet, internet now you can access people directly, you know, we're in positions. Maybe with COVID, a little harder. They have to set bags out, but uh, just to roll in to 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 step one of of traveling without money is if you have camping gear. So that might take a little something to put together, but you can sleep outside, and you can sleep outside, and you can get those sleeping bags for cheap that keep you warm. We Chape and I, you and I, slept outside in St. Petersburg where it never really got dark, and it got, like, close to zero degrees. So it was – so we and we lived through that. And we didn't – we had California kind of winter clothes. So, I mean, it was cold, but we did it. And then the second thing would be trying to find food. And that we didn't have to worry about this German trip because I had enough money where we'd go to grocery stores. But still, you buy tofu, you know, in a block, and you buy dry ramen noodles, you mix them in a bag – the wet from the from the from the tofu hydrates the noodles, and you have this pace that you just can feel, you know, when you're exercising or moving through the, the countryside. Anyway, I hope that was a good intro.
0: <laughs> it's a great <laughs> intro, and and yeah, with the food thing, like what John's implying is like all these grocery stores will have to throw away everything that's like supposed to be sold by date. So it's like you can literally go to the back of most grocery stores and jump in the dumpster and everything's still in packages and it's very I mean cleanly is obviously arguable but like if it's in a package you can you can definitely survive. There's also like he cited websites that a lot of um like farmers markets at the end of the day they don't they have leftovers they'll go put them certain places. I know they do this in San Francisco and it's all free. First come first serve they just drop it in the field and you just have to go find it, pick it up. So again like John and I spent a lot of time living on the road for no money. And with the warm shower thing, like it's a website. You you contact the host. You pe- you pedal your bicycle to where the host says you can stay. It's usually trade, like you sleep at my house for free. But, you know, you maybe do some gardening or something like that. Another great example on how to travel long distances for no money. It's so cool you did that with your little kids. Um, and you're instilling these kind of like behaviors and ways of doing things. In them at such a young age, because I think these are very valuable life lessons that when they find themselves at some point, you know, traveling by themselves, they're going to have a certain set of tools. They can say like, oh, well, uh, the bus never showed. I'm on the side of the road in Mexico. Like, what do I do? You know, and they have the, the instincts and tools because you've been teaching them how to get through situations like that what do you do first if under these circumstances and i just think it's so cool that you've stayed so committed to this this kind of way of doing things i was having a conversation um recently with somebody about you know like your commitment to that way of travel you know in which you will always hitchhike everywhere even with kids like you you took your little kids and you hitchhiked from what was it uh gigante out to ometepe in Nicaragua.
1: Yeah, I've hitchhiked from Managua down to Rivas. I've hitchhiked um, with bicycles a few places, you know, outside, like riding outside of Managua and then hitchhiking back into it. And then, um, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head with with it being a. Because what you and I realize is it it was the the most authentic way of traveling, and when when you 're at all like a like a season kind of adventure you you 're looking for authenticity're we 're getting a little older we't we can 't jump off the biggest rocks as much as we wanted to or chase the biggest waves but um what we what we learned in doing those things before adrenaline drunken kids who who were looking for the places to really kind of almost die. We learned that there was an authentic way to move through, you know, countries and, and, uh, and peoples and villages and tribes and, in that, and it's going slow. It's not having a bunch of fucking money because when it, when it, I mean, who can you relate to? Other people with a bunch of money. And then you do that and then you stay in Hyatt's and then you go out the five star. But it's like, how sociable is that? And are those the people that you want to associate with? If they are, then that's your thing. But I mean, personally, I'm not really that kind of five star kind of guy. I like tofu and, and ramen in a bag. And if I'm hanging out with four other people who just labored a whole day to do whatever they did, whether it was ride a bicycle, build a latrine, you know, frame a house, you know, scale the fish, whatever it was, it was like that was authentic. I, I, you know, I, I, there was one experience when I was riding a bicycle in China where I was exhausted. I sat down and there was some other dude sitting by a river and and most times people try to talk to you or you try to talk to them. I kind of tried to talk to this guy, but he wasn't really responsive. I mean, he smiled. It wasn't unfriendly, but he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And remember, I had a lot of time. I sat there and I, I, it might have been just a half an hour. It felt like three hours and neither of us said anything. And like, I'll never forget it. And it was just, it was authentic. You know, it was like a Chinese dude next to a Chinese river in the mountains of China you know, and like I, like for a moment, I could shut the hell up and just, you know, be there, and I think that's kind of like the, the, you know, you start re- reciting all these proverbs of being there, you sound like a twat, <laughs> but then the moments where you actually get to do it and you understand it's, you know, words don't do it justice. It's like the, it's like the Tao. The Tao in which you can explain isn't the Tao, and so when you, you and I, what we're talking about is like it's hard to explain. That's the reason you got to do it, and people have to listen and get what they can out of it but it's it's hard to explain because what you're what you're trying to articulate is a is a sensation that you get when you when you don't get uh when you don't get ahead of yourself and you can kinda of just be
0: there it is you just said it i mean you just explained it and now that it. It's just being present being not thinking ahead and not you know trying to To be anything other than in that moment completely present with all your senses and it's a feeling like you just implied it's it's not something that you can intellectually understand it's a feeling that you feel when you're in that moment and you start building upon those moments realizing like oh the path that I'm on each step is that moment and if I stay within that each experience is more authentic more genuine I'm more connected to that moment and. Like, you and I walking side by side around the world together, literally, you know, for miles at times. Like, we would – remember that time in um, Nepal where we got across – we came through the mountains, the Himalayas in China, and we get across the border into Nepal, and there's that huge, like, mudslide, right?
1: Yeah, I remember that. And
0: the bus can't pass it. And we're, like, looking at a map, and we're talking to people, and we're like, well, how far is it? to like the village and they're like, Oh, it's like 30 kilometers or something like that. And we're like, we look at each other. like It's like eight in the morning and we're like, well, we got all day. Like, let's start walking. And so we just, we, we walk across the mudslide and we leave the whole bus behind us. And we just start hoofing it. You know, it's like, we didn't have anywhere to go. We had our backpacks. We had our camping gear. We could have easily slept on the side of the road. You know, further down the road, what, like 10 kilometers there happened to be more traffic and we got picked up. But just again, going back to that premise, all you need is time and a passport, and you can get anywhere in this world for no money.
1: You, you know what you need to add is sense of adventure. True, because like I'm looking around, and I guess, I mean, if you if you have the sense of adventure, you might already know this. So maybe it's important we mention it because you know if it's if if that sense of adventure isn't taken seriously within yourself, then um, then you might not take that first step.
0: Exactly. I mean, yeah, I th- I think we're speaking to people who are motivated to maybe take that first step, have a sense of adventure. I mean, listeners hopefully find Misfits and Rejects podcasts and, and guests who are um, adventurous, so they, they they see themselves as like-minded. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. With a passport, time, a sense of adventure is going to take you a lot of places. And I'd like to actually go back into the, um, the hot showers, because I think for somebody listening, like – if you just want to go Google it right now, hotshowers.com, that's what it was.
1: Yeah, it's warm showers and it's also not a it's not a work trade site. It's just a hosting and um, and a guest site you know with involving bicycles. And then uh, I know that the the work exchange one is wolf, it's called Wolfing.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's right. Woofing. But yeah, if you want to go to warm com, folks who are listening, who are enthusiastic about cycling, you're going to get a gist of what he's talking about, where it's like all these people will host you for free, as long as you just pedal your bicycle to their, their house. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so with the the family that you have now, all four kids, you have a, what is he? Eight months? Little Atlas? Atlas
1: is 15 months, man. He, he uh, walks and, Pretends he drives cars and has, like, three words, so he's 15 months. <laughs> cool.
0: And so, yeah, like, with the other kids in Atlas and the the moves that you're making, I mean, the, the time we spent recently together, because John was in Southern California, like, John had strapped little Atlas to his chest. All the other kids had skateboards, and we mobbed around Venice together on skateboards. You know, like, there's – the ages of each one is what, like,
1: five? We got a f- five, seven, eleven.
0: Okay, and we're just mobbing around in Venice on skateboards, having little picnics, drinking eggnog <laughs> on a hot summer <laughs> day.
1: <laughs> I yeah. guess it
0: wasn't that hot, but I mean it's such a cool way of doing things, and I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you continue to like strive to expose your kids to this type of lifestyle, this type of like this way of doing things for a specific purpose or is it just because you like it? They, they have to like, basically they have to just do it because you like it.
1: Yeah. Well, right now it's just who we are. It's like, if, if, if you called me and I called you or something and we said, let's have drinks tonight. Like I wouldn't first think like, which bar is Chapin going to meet me at? (laughs) I would think like, like what Safeway parking lot is Chapin going to meet me at? You know, like, (laughs) so it's just kind of who we are now. So they are extensions of that, you know, like I, we had a good one where, and, and, and Yazzie, the mother of Atlas, I think is sometimes I notice she's the newest to the crew. And, um, and, and I think she really enjoys it cause she's like a, a real gypsy and we roll like that where I got a shitty van. It's a 1997 seven Plymouth Voyager with 230,000 miles on it. And I park it and we open the door and we you take out in the parking lot and we put up the music real loud and. And get the kids to dance or something, but it's just uh, it's an extension of who we are. And then the and what I'm finding as far as the where I'm having to kind of cultivate uh, the the new me, you know, is isn't so much have to do with traveling because that I, I I'm good at and setting an atmosphere I'm good at also. It's like we had Gigante Bay, you know, Camino on the beach. We had the we had the crowbar, you know. We I I had to play music for public for. For almost a decade, you know, and, and I had to accommodate to to uh, people's vibes and, and the atmosphere for a long time. And I had a lot of things to work with, being a beautiful beach with a sunset every night and cheap rum, you know, it was like and cold beers. Like I had, I had great things to work with and a stereo system that always seemed to die. But and now what I'm finding is like is so that comes naturally. It's great. Like my kitchen's always playing. You know, Thievery Corp or, or Kruger and Dorfmeister or Bass Nectar or Spearhead. And the, so the music's always good. We got classical at the right time. We got jazz at the right time. We watch good stuff, you know, documentaries. We have good books kicking around. Uh, Guns, Germs and Steel, you know, uh, and, uh, but where I'm, where, where I'm, uh, working to improve myself so I can make the, the, the more complete, um, kind of idea of, of who I want to be and what family I want to raise is is beyond that because the sense of adventure is going to come. I mean, they can't hear my adventures and not have a little envy and, and interest and, and competitiveness and go out and try to get their own. You know, like my fucking dad rode a bicycle that far. I can go twice as far. That's what I hope to hear one day. I got to teach them the skill sets that make it so they survive, sure. But what I'm practicing now is what the traveling didn't help with, and that is... Um, that is having a stationary, having a, a lifestyle, a family environment that I'm comfortable with all the time. Um, uh, like a, a more of a, a model that's, that's not so transient. You know, when you and I traveled, Chape, you were, <laughs> you're my, you know, A lot of things didn't even happen until you knew about it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like it wasn't confirmed until Chape knew it too. You know, it's like you and I, we were in Mongolia. And like, I have these stories where, you know, I met Mongolian women and we were in Russia and we met mon- Russian women and, you know, in China on the bus <laughs> from Ulaanbaatar down to, down to Inner Mongolia and the China. It was, um, you know, we had, we had girls and, and these things that didn't, that really kind of encouraged this, this kind of, um, this non committal, you know, like you could often, you know, be a one type of person in a one type of way and, you know, you get what you want. And then you moved on. You didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, where you had to be like responsible for yourself because you were, we were so transient that we could always reinvent ourselves. And now that I'm at home and I'm, and I'm committed in a relationship and I'm committed as a father, it's like that I have to put on the brakes because I had this, I had this thing that, That I realized at some point in the travel, and I, I don't know if someone else has said it at another point, but I really felt like I came up with it, you know, myself, which is, which is far and few between original thoughts, you know? And it was, it's easier to make new friends than it is to find old ones. You know, and it's not like I don't know old friends. It's like, you're my best friend and we're in great touch. But it's like, I think it was me trying to connect with somebody I met in a city before, in another city, and it was really hard. And then I met somebody else. And then they're the ones who opened their doors and gave me this great experience. And I realized at that point it was easier making that new friend than it was trying to find an old friend and rekindle what it was that we had a long time ago, maybe. But, um, in, you know, that's not the kind of attitude you really have when you do settle down and you got the kids. You have this, this one where you make the most of, of your, of your small circle and nurture, nurture that. So that, that's my new challenge.
0: Yeah, I feel you. I mean, yeah, kind of implying like bachelor lifestyle versus more family man, which comes with its own responsibilities and new ways of doing things, even though you still have stuck to like your roots of like, we're going to all hitchhike as a family, you know, family of four, family of five, um, you know, around Nicaragua together and get from point A to point B. Um, you know, the the urban camping that you at one point were doing in Japan, for example, is not as conducive when you have all these little ones running around. So let's, let's just like reminisce a little bit because I was telling this story to somebody there night, and, and you talked a lot about um, your time on a bicycle with me in Japan, which I wasn't a part of that type of traveling with you for that long a period of time. Um, and you were doing what urban camping in Japan, or was, were you, were you living in Tokyo or sleeping in toilets? I, I have so many different stories. I kind of miss miss tell, I think.
1: It, it worked out where, so Shanghai to Osaka Ferry, three days, something like that, two nights, three days. Osaka, and then I had a three-month visa, so I got to ride a bicycle over to the other side of the country, the, that big island, then up, and then I w- rode around um, uh, Hiroshima. No, that's that's uh, the, the volcano, um, Hokkaido. And, and then down, and then uh, went through Tokyo, and then down to uh, Nagasaki. Right, And then back up to Osaka, so um, I got to be in some cities, and I got to be a lot of countryside and i didn't because japan is is as expensive as it is, like california i didn't stay I didn't pay for one night of accommodations, and I had some cold nights up there in Hokkaido in the north. It was snowing, it was like just coming out of winter and um and, but in other places that's one, that's one place where I really um I started stopping at the sh- churches, the Catholic churches just because that seemed to work out better. And then I found a map in one of the churches that showed me where the other churches were. And then I made a point to stop at the churches, and it was often that the churches had accommodations attached to them because, you know, they would accommodate. And other, you know, ty- type of, for whatever reasons, people, you know, going through those systems. And then, uh, so it always seemed to be available. And then you have these, these um, fathers, so they would be the priests, but they were Catholic fathers, who had done educations in Italy. So they often spoke maybe Spanish or Italian, in which I still spoke some Spanish. And then, uh, so, and they were single because they're Catholic fathers. They aren't supposed to have families. So they don't, they don't really have families that's keeping them too busy or, or, or using all their money. So they got this church money. They want to hang out with you and they have some European education so they can appreciate you. And then you show, and then I had a beard, so I look like Jesus. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, and I'm asking for shelter. Like, you know, like there's a part in the Bible about that. <laughs> so to deny somebody is like, <laughs> you don't do it. So they, they really accommodated me really nice. And, um, that's something that I'm, I'm glad you mentioned because it was the place where I, I really, I really pushed my, um, my, 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 uh, looking for charity. Like I really got the most, I went to Japan and, and let's say I started at dollar zero and I left with 300 bucks because people were giving me money. Japan has it's a, a walking culture, a bike culture, a pilgrimage culture, and their, their first world, they're advanced. They, uh, they can, they have a place in their culture for this and they're, they're Buddhist so gifting to the person in which keeps moving and searching it ended up happening that way and but it was at that point too i realized that that um okay that worked for there but in uh, looking back in in any of my regrets is that i wasn't more generous and and there was something that that when you when you go like a night without eating because you couldn't find food and then you find some food and you go overboard and you eat too much it's uh it's hard to regulate it's like you can have a reversed eating disorder in that you know or you or just I don't know if that would be a definition of an eating disorder, but where you get to a point where you, you when you can get you get too much and I know one of the things that I say to my eleven year old because she's in this place where she's kind of useful is um is I say uh take half as much and give twice as much as you can like give twice as much. And and that means like do two more dishes than your one. Uh, and then, and then if you want, if you want to take four Oreos, only take two, you know, like it, you'll be lighter that way. And, and all around, like in, in your presence, you know, and often, you know, cuz she's competing with sisters who are, you know, competitive and aggressive, and often we'll find ourselves with limited things, right? Like whether it's water on a on a hiking trip or it's like Oreos, you know, on a on a picnic. And and they're they're like birds, you know, they're willing to push each other out for for self-preservation push each other out of the nest. And what I'm trying to expose to them is like, Hey, I'm going to be honest with you and and I'm paying attention. And I'm telling you, my gut's telling me that you're eating too much. And if you're eating too much, other people are going to know you're eating too much. And if you're eating too much, you won't get invited on the next picnic because if someone gets stuck with someone who eats too much, then you're the one that's going to get killed first because you're going to compromise the group, you know, And, and it comes time to work or you only brought two logs for the fire. You know, it's like everyone brought a log or two logs. Why don't you go bring four logs so they know next time to bring you because you bring twice as much, you know, like little things. But I want them to be, it's it's about them now, you know. It's like I know my, I know I, I have the intuition. I'm trying to give them some boundaries or, or, or standards in which to live up to so they can, you know, so they can maybe do the right thing before doing the wrong thing to learn that it was the wrong thing and then start doing the right thing. And I guess that's all that parenting is, right? Trying to be that example.
0: Yeah, you you implied something that caught my attention, which I'm going to bring to the surface because we've talked about it in personal conversation quite a bit, and I think that I have a different perspective in that. You know, the a lot of the traveling that we did, where we we were used a great term where you were in Japan and you really pushed your receiving charity to an extreme and you opened yourself up just to receive only and i guess take only it sounds like you were saying in japan and in hindsight you have some regrets on how much you took is that kind of what i got from you yeah uh and and i've seen you take steps to make amends for that in your givingness over the last you know 10 years in nicaragua of like with the warm showers dot com people come like you gave so much to people and ask for nothing in return. So I think you're in the clear. I think you've you've paid back your debt to the world. But my argument is I've never felt that. You know, when we were staying, you know, in Indonesia for example, in that church and that family took us in and we lived with that family like 2 weeks on this like in this little stilt house over the water in a super poor little ghetto in northern Sumatra where they had a pig running around underneath the house because they live over water. That's the only place they could keep the pig. Like, they were so generous to us, but I don't ever have any feeling like we took more than we should have. Like, I felt like there was an exchange that they appreciated having us there as well, because they were then like the cool family in town who had the two white guys and white female in the house. And so my relationship to those moments, like, Are different in that. I I always feel like we were giving, even though we might have been taking the food that someone was offering, but we were giving our conversation, our time, our thoughtful questions, our, you know, different insights about the world. That's for me has always left me with the sense of like, well, I think it was an even exchange.
1: Yeah. Well, that goes back to, uh, to taking half as half, half of what you need and, and giving twice as much. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and I remember that and they wanted us to buy a Bible. Remember that?
0: I don't remember that. This is funny. The Just guy, I have no recollection of that.
1: Yeah. The guy came in and he was trying to peddle Bibles and they were Christians, which was, wasn't, wasn't as common in Sumatra as, as Islam. And then, um, yeah, we, we declined. And I remember one of his spiels was we'll buy it for the family. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were like, no, you know, we were on, we were on shoestrings and, and it wasn't easy for us. Um, Things like that. It's like, yeah. And as soon as you start being generous, because we hung out with so many poor people, we would have had nothing soon. So we were able to keep moving because we played it right. I mean, it's not like we walked away rich or we, you know, but we like going back to saying that all you don't need anything. You don't need any money to travel. And yes, you don't need any money. But what you will need is you will need a a huge amount of gratitude and a huge amount of appreciation and as much sweat as you can put into it, as you can muster. And then also just a, just a, like a, what do they call it? When you manifest, (laughs) try to manifest the best for everybody all the time. And then you don't need money.
0: That's profound. I mean, that statement, that's going to be quotable. I'm going to make a little quote from the put on Instagram. Cause yeah, you're going to need a lot of gratitude because what you're going to find for everybody listening, when you hit the road and you do the budget thing, or just even going out to a country outside of America for the first time, you're going to encounter so much kindness that you're going to be overwhelmed and realize like how generous this world is in the poorest places ever. You'll usually find the most generosity. Um, I think you. I think I'm wrong in that statement because I think you find equal amounts of generosity everywhere. What I think you find and feel is different when you are receiving it from somebody who you perceive as literally having nothing. That's when that contrast comes in and you're like, oh, they're so generous here in Nicaragua, which is like the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere versus being in, say, like Germany, where like you're experiencing a, a generosity from somebody who has you, you perceive as having a lot more, but I think the generosity around the world is, is equal. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I would, because it's, it's your access to people's generosity in Nicaragua, since nobody has anything, there's no barriers, right? And, and then there's also no fear because there's nothing to lose. Like it, the chance of them having the opportunity to give you something is a chance. Also, they ha- might have to come up because I mean, there ain't nothing else going on where you have these first real countries and everybody's really busy. You know, people are all the same generous, like you said, but you just can't access it because they're busy and you're busy and they have fences and gates and car doors and front doors and, and you know, stigmas and dogmas. So, yeah, it's relative, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with the family that you have, the you know, the little bit of roots that you've placed right now in your mom's basement <laughs> as you continue to pimp it out. Pimp my mom's basement. We should make a show about that. Um, <laughs> where does the future... Like, what do you see the future looking like for you and your family? I mean, I know you have a wanderlust still in you to a certain extent. I mean, I know that you like living a certain way. So I know you don't want to be like a journeyman, like a handyman, you know, which I know you're you're getting by with right now for the rest of your life. So, you know, what kind of stuff do you and Yazzie talk about? Like, how do you see your future?
1: Um, it's uh, It involves traveling because Yazzie's got a wandering heart. And I'm just good at traveling, I've done it most of my life. And uh, and I see us kind of using this opportunity to live in my mom's basement to uh, be with my mom. So, I mean, it really worked out well. I, I found myself explaining this like I still feel like I need to explain it a little bit. <laughs> because, like, I left at 19 years old. I went down and picked you up. And then mm-hmm. I was still 19. And you and I drove down to Costa Rica <laughs> and that yeah. was, and I, and I never went and I never came home. I never came back to, to live for more than maybe six months. And then, uh, and so now, and we only got back, what, six months ago, seven months ago.
0: And, and, you uh, and kids from Germany, you mean?
1: Yeah. So now I'm back here and like my mom never remarried. So she's single living by herself an old house on a hill that's sliding down and I have this uh, carpentry background. So yeah, we're going to make her house strong and solid. I fixed her lazy boy today. <laughs> she was stoked. She was trying to buy another one for a thousand bucks. I was like, let me fix your old one. So we're getting along fine. I haven't been around my family for over 20 years in any extent, so I'm appreciating the time. And then, um, yeah, just, uh, I, uh, I, have these other mothers that are involved that make it more difficult for planning trips. And, um, and there's these other things like, you know, schooling and, and ideas of education. And I'm I'm still not entirely sure of how to explain how I feel about that. And so, so traveling isn't that easy. And, uh, but I still feel like on the horizon there is me taking my kids to places either individually separate from each other so I can make connections or as a, as a group. And we just bomb like a, like a circus, like we usually roll and, uh, and show them some of the places and kind of how to roll again. It's, it's like, we're supposed to be better than our parents, right? And our kids are supposed to be better than us. So if our, if our parents are supposed to lay down the foundation in which we're supposed to build off of and then beyond, then, uh, what I hope at least is they get a, a sense of, of just how to how to act, you know, by a standard in which I set that that I feel is like to best appreciate the, the situation, you know, like the the present, the people, the the food, the the music, the the environment, the temperature, the sensations, right? And then from there, then they use the the their space and time, their opportunities of their generation, because you know, places we went might not necessarily be as, as cool, you know, or available. I remember my, my parents had, have stories of traveling through, um, Afghanistan, you know, it's like, well, you can't travel through Afghanistan anymore, you know, maybe that changes and they can travel through Afghanistan. But if, if I, if we take them to, to, uh, where were we, we were in uh, Calcutta together, Mm -hmm. you know, we were in Goa together, Kerala. Um, Vada Narsi. And we, I take them there you know, and I, you know, show them, okay, yeah, you can go wash your face in the Ganges too, go for a swim or, you know, let's, let's, let's stay here for a month and take some yoga classes or some djembe classes, you know, and then we'll, we'll go take pictures somewhere else. But it's, uh, and all the while, you know, seeking out, you know, the, the beat of the drum, you know, the people that, that, that drink the bang and you know the the sunsets while saying the right thing you know it's not what you think that you're going to say to the kids because it's not ever what you think anything right you don't what our parents thought that they were taught, teaching us we never learned it's just us observing them being them is how we learned so i got to be with them or in these places for them to learn that
0: so yeah that leads me to then another question kind of related to your future if 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 all things were equal and you could do what you wanted with your little family unit right now without having to, to think about education types and not have to think about the wants and needs of the other you know, parents involved in this equation, like how would you ideally raise all these kids if you could do it the way you wanted to?
1: Yeah, uh, that movie, Captain Fantastic.
0: <laughs> With What's his name? Yeah, I shall put that in the show notes if anybody wants to reference that. It's a, it's a great movie.
1: Yeah, everyone should watch that.
0: If so you... just raise them in the woods, teaching them, like, <laughs> you're not that good at math, though, dude. Like, how are you going to teach them how to do adding and subtracting?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe there's some other people involved. That's the one thing in Captain Fantastic that, that I wouldn't mind accommodating. And actually... In the process of that movie, they end up in a small community, where it seemed like they were still embodying a lot of who they were, as, you know, as being just the family unit out in the forest surviving, mm-hmm. to um, to having some organized garden and a bit of community. And it's a, it's it seems it it seems like um like it's difficult for people to obtain because it's like real real life. Everyone's kind of like in in a you know, kind of condensed communities. So this idea of having neighbors and exchanging food and, and ideas isn't as realistic, but you can kind of, you can kind of create that biome, uh, within the, the, the suburban kind of climate, because it's, uh, it's, it's really just what you make of it. So if, if you focus on, you know, where you get your food from, who your neighbor is and, um, and what history has to teach us that that's what will be you know uh, that's what your family will be about it's just a, it's what i think through the travels and through through being stationary and and i'll say this now because i don't want to forget it and also and i heard it and it was super profound and it made the most sense to me if you want to see the world look down so it's like you and i get this from traveling sure but it's a it's a state of being that maybe someone gets it too, and never went anywhere. So it's like you can have uh, you can have the the sense of adventure and no passport, and you're living a great life. I and you can also, but you know, the the rule helps open a lot of doors to appreciate the things that make a great life.
0: Yeah, like going back to the contrast, like you you stated, like you can look down and and it have the same sensations that. We've experienced looking down in other continents. You can, you can get that without a passport and get that same feeling in your backyard. But if I'm hearing correctly, which I, I kind of agree with, that contrast is where you really start to find that appreciation and that internal sort of like understanding of what we've kind of been talking about this last hour. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to summarize what you're talking about with your family, like it sounds like ideally for you, raising all your children to be self-reliant is a huge one for you.
1: Yeah, resilience. Mm-hmm. i've I'm heard it in it. ted yeah i've heard it in ted talks it, it, under the under the label of grit you know it's like they can you can you can project somebody's um success by their level of iq plus conscientiousness minus neuroticism but you have this but you also there's whatever your life turns out to be they don't correlate morals with intelligence, so it doesn 't matter what you get or how fast you get it. It matters if you 're a good person or not, and there is no correlation between you know figuring it out so I mean, you and I both know when society kind of leaves you behind, which ended up working out for us because when they don't think you're really college fit, you know they don 't make a place for you. you start thinking of other options, and when traveling, the world ends up being that you have that you end up having this this niche kind of uh, personality that that no one else on the block even has, because they did just good enough on uh, SATs, where they got into, you know, into some schools that put them into the place where their parents thought they needed to be to be successful, you know, and and then you're outside of that box and maybe less or more successful. It's 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 uh it's relative to to your whole new perspective, which is totally different now because you went around the world because college didn't have the place for us. So it's, it's the, it's the grit. It's the, you're, you're resourceful, you know, you're uh, resilient. And I think that's important because who knows where this world's going. It's like by the, by the, what I see, it's like, it's moving really fast and faster than our parents and their parents, especially, I mean, things move slow for a long time. Now it's not so slow and who's to know, like if it, if it continues compounding itself and even moving faster. And, but nonetheless, like, we're still like, like, like biological bodies having to work in this like incredibly changing world. And being able to be resilient is also like being able to accept the change and teach the kids to like go with the flow. You know, like, if the, if the, if the beat changes, you don't look at you know, it, and you were already grooving. You don't look at the DJ and, and, and smirk. You look at the, you know, you you change your step, and you ask somebody to dance. It's like, it's you you gotta. In life is short, and who knows how what it what it's meant to be. But, I mean, at least if you do that, then uh, then you can have a smile on your face at the end of the day, and not be past the point of no return, and feel like you have regrets because that's one thing I know I don't have. You know, they, when my cousin that runs around trying to trying to have experiences, and he keeps saying, "You don't regret what you did; <laughs> you only regret what you didn't do." And I can't argue with that. You know, as he's doing reckless things, I'm just like, "Well, maybe," you know, but still, it's it's okay. You know, there's there's limits and lines and exceptions to all the rules, but. It's kind of true, you know, for for regular people with you know regular confinements, you don't regret what you what you did by any means.
0: Yeah, no, it reminds me of a guest I had recently on, who was uh, episode two hundred and ten, Jared in Gaza. He's um activist, and he talks about you know holding true to your principles, but being able to adapt when what you're trying to achieve is not achievable in the way that you're trying to achieve it. So that kind of ability to pivot, that ability to recognize the changing environment around you. And because of the upbringing that you're giving your kids, they're going to see opportunities in places that others might not see opportunities. And they're going to be comfortable in situations that other people are going to be extremely uncomfortable in. You know, with right now, even just with COVID as an example, like losing your job and not having the kind of income that you were very comfortable with and, and you know, tightening that belt. Well, you know, your kids are very sound at finding food water and shelter (laughs) in places that other people might not be looking yeah right (laughs) um i was gonna say that uh oh yeah just take take the audience through real quick like you get home from work and you take the kids what rock climbing on a daily or a bike ride like you're always doing something real active with the kids on a daily right what's the kind of daily routine for you
1: yeah you know my mom says that about my dad, and it might be just a personality thing that's just like inherent in us. it's where we don't stop moving and I don't know what it takes for me to kick it a fire in the fireplace, and I'll slow down, wrestle with the kids but um yeah, once a day, I need to get out, and at least we have a we have a thing in our family where if you bleed from bravery, you get ice cream <laughs> so <laughs> it puts a it puts a sweet spin on on being daring and we'll, we have a bike, we have a couple bike rides we do throughout the week, um, where we'll go down to a landfill, you know, that's been turned into a dog park where we'll go swimming in the bay. And, uh, we have Indian rock, which is a super old rock. That's only like three minutes from our house down Arlington. Um, my daughters do downhill skateboarding or at least in does. Everyone has their skateboards, but in actually like we'll drop 800 feet, you know, in an hour and. And, uh, we, um, yeah, we rock climb at the Indian rock, which is great, you know, and it's sometimes it's scary. And I, and there's this other thing that I just want to put out there because I'm trying to think of profound things, you know, without sounding like a twat <laughs> and it being, uh, my, um, you know, my my cousin, Kelly Conley, very smart girl. She was, she, we, we talk often and I would say like always in contrast to her kind of like. Like, hyper-safety world, you know, of, like, she's always trying to just keep everything very safe, and which is a beautiful thing. But um, I'd always use the example, like, well, my dad didn't, you know. My dad let us shoot bows and arrows at each other in the backyard, and nothing ever happened. And she said, well, what if it did? And I was like, holy shit, I watch Fail Army. And those are times where it did, you know. And you read it every once in a while in the newspaper. Somebody gets shot by a handgun or, you know, like, some kids kill each other somehow. Mm-hmm. And what if it did? And I think of that often because it's like, would I com- would I compromise my entire being, which is which is having a higher level of, of risk, you know, like adverse, uh, aversion to to being safe and not having the experiences, you know, but but securing that everybody was. Was going to be fine, and I remember having this and kind of in light conversation with, oh, you know, when they pull your card, they pull your card, you know, when it's over, it's over. Like we, we, you and you and I both know we when we were surfing those waves and and swimming in those caves and things that like you know could be very dangerous. That and we knew we'd live and we got out, but there was an element of death and people less less uh, comfortable than us would have died. And they look at us like, oh, and you and you think like, oh, you know, well, it was worth the risk, or, or the sort of thing, and and that's what I juggle because the only thing more important than your own life is the life of your kids, and you would give anything for it, but you want to, you want to, you want to, you want them to build their life, and that's that line you're always walking where they aren't going to be. You know, they aren't going to have substance to their personality or their character if they don't have experiences that that make them feel mortal, you know, that make them feel pain, that make them feel suffering. It's like the rite of passage is lost in this new world we we live in. It's You either you go and you grab it. Like I got mine through, you know, our travels. I mean, we fucking crossed Russia and Siberia. It's And then I rode a bike a long way just to feel like I, I deserve to be alive you know it's like we we have to do these things and a long time ago tribes knew this stuff you know they fucked with teenage boys you know girls they fall into it because they have babies i mean once a woman has a once a girl has a baby she's a woman no matter what anyone says but boys it's less obvious you know, and when you get kids behind computer games and then they're in their 20s and then they're in their 30s and they lost their right of passage and they're under their parents' house <laughs> and they're living in their mom's <laughs> basement, you still playing video games with Cheeto dust on their dick, then, you know, they lost the opportunity to have the right of passage, hence the reason they're in that position. You know, they're not desirable by women. It's like, you know, we've been beating women off of sticks. <laughs> I don't want to sound egotistical, but it, it's because we, we had these, these things that made us real people and no one wants to be with somebody who isn't real and being with somebody and forming families or communities or tribes and or being like a like a reputable member of your of your community of your family regardless of what it, what shape it takes is important you know it's important to you and it's important to the people who know you so we so i, I don't know where i was going with that but
0: No, it's it's great. It was just describing, yeah, um, your family and and how you feel about raising your kids. And I'd like the audience just to get one more understanding of, like, kind of your commitment to this way of life in which, you know, John every morning makes his kids wake up. Well, why don't you tell everybody instead of me? You you make them wake up and you have to do yoga and meditate? And you you have every single one. You have the five-year-old sitting there doing yoga poses and meditating, too?
1: Yeah. They all got to do yoga every morning and they all got to meditate. And then if uh, if we're on the ball, we'll do, uh, we'll do a run. So that's the idea, and they can all do sun salutation, A and B, and they all can sit quietly and focus on their breathing. I named my oldest daughter Anitja. The most profound thing I got out of four years in Asia was um, impermanence. Everything changes. Don't hold on too tight to anything because it, it leaves you, good or bad. And, and that's, that's, I think, the, the underlining idea that that makes Asia kind of what it is. But, um, and if I can, if I can just, all I'm trying to do is get muscle memory into my kids and it's, it's sentiments too. You know, it's like, again, I don't think what I'm teaching my kids is what they'll remember per se. You know, it's just cause I can't, I can't be anybody I'm not and then expect them to buy that. I mean, kids, kids see through it all. So, this is my time to be real. So when I wake up and I'm like, you know, sorry, you don't want to do this, but you have to do this, you know, this, and then we do it. And then you can always see, like, it, it's like anybody, it's like an adult who does yoga, you know, and then meditates. Afterwards, they want to bake bread and then they want to call an old friend, you know, then they want to write a blog. You know, it's like when you take care of yourself, you can take care of others. It's like, you you know, you can't, I mean, How's it go? You know, you can't pour your glass into other glasses if your glass isn't already filled or full. So you have to, you know, use that morning time when you first wake up. Be a little disciplined, and and I am. Thank, thank, you know, thank God I am because I I wake up with this this great disposition that I'm excited to be alive. And I know not everybody does. And I'm sorry for those who don't, and I hope they find something that does. But if pushing them into a little bit of exercise starts, so I'll usually run. Or and then writing something else that exercises the mind, and then get all the kids. And that was great about Nicaragua is I had all the volunteers. They were like children in a sense of, you know, responsibility. And I made it obligatory in that volunteer program when we had the business in Nicaragua that people had to do the yoga before we had the business meeting because it it circulated the blood. You know, if I had a bunch of people waiting for the first brew of coffee before we had a meeting, you know, I had a bunch of... dead weight to try to orchestrate through the day this way everybody comes out of yoga you know whether they'd done it or they hadn't they appreciated the experience their blood is flowing oxygen's in their brain now they have an idea you know and i didn't ask for more than four hours because i knew it wore off after four hours (laughs) and uh and it's the same here it's like even even if i'm not feeling it i have the i have the responsibility to my children that that i do it with you and we do it together and look at the end of it, we'll all feel better. And sure enough, like the difference between waking up, letting the kids eat cereal, cause I've done that too, Fruit Loops and watch cartoons and then telling them to get dressed and get on their bikes. We're going for a ride or get on computer because we got to do homeschool is way different than if we wake up, we jog around the block, we come home, we do three sun salutation, a three sun salutation B and meditate for 10 minutes. And then, and then they're like, they're like real people, you know, they like, no, you know like okay the day started i'm not going to i'm not going to be a little a little punk and and try to watch more cartoons you know skip a little class so it's 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 just that it's yeah it's that uh that bedrock of of building you know like they say they say dress like the person you want to be like you know and uh a tr- like the lorax uh dr seuss a tree leans or a tree falls the way it leans you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a stand up person, you act stand up. You know, if you want to be a fit person, you get fit. You know, you you have to practice what it is you want to be.
0: Mm-hmm. It was cute the other day when I was participating. I mean, the other day, like whatever, six months ago, with the yoga in the morning on the beach up in um, where were we? In then Ventura. <laughs>
1: Santa then, Barbara, yeah. Yeah,
0: and then we were jumping off the sand dunes with the kids and the oldest uh bruised her heel really bad on a like a rock under under the sand. And then the the littlest girl comes up and is like Don't worry, Anitja. Pain is just weakness leaving the body <laughs> Like Anitja's yeah. crying her eyes out and like the little girls just consoling. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Um but yeah, it's fun and I respect the discipline that you have and that you are instilling in your kids and I think yeah, the morning routine that you have them in is so healthy and so helpful for them to become even better human beings and achieve more in their own lives because they stay are able to stay focused throughout the day. Because yeah, the cartoons. I mean, that's where the ADD comes from, in my opinion. You know, like that's when you start seeing kids like having attention deficit disorder, having all those flashing images and in, in their face, like over and over and over, just wiring their brain in an unhealthy way.
1: Yeah, right. We didn't, you know, we came from a place where we used to watch water run. You know, we'd watch clouds pass. We watched waves lap. That's, that's like what our brains are designed to, this technological boom, you know, and this like, you know, this catering, catered, uh, catered advertising, you know, via our, our social media. We're in this transitional thing. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, huh? Because it's, yeah, it's, uh, our, our minds are old. <laughs> it's like bliss food, you know, sugar and salt. It's like, you know, they figured out what it what it, what it is that, you know, we can consume and that makes us ultra happy, you know, where we where we neglect our own health as a result.
0: I remember sleeping on the beach in India with you. And uh, waking up with the sun, going to bed with the sun falling, and just being so content. We would swim out to the rock every morning, and we'd watch the kingfisher bird fishing off the rock. And we'd just sit there for hours, maybe talk, maybe wouldn't. Um, And the days flew by, and we literally did nothing all day. (laughs) We just sat on the beach had our little conversations, maybe read our book, maybe had a little salad <laughs> if we had if we had any fruit and veg. Um, I, that was a very profound moment in my life when I really felt like I was for the first time truly in sync with Mother Nature um, because we were just so in it. you know, drinking from the freshwater stream like that was very, very real and connected to the
1: cycles that's of the where we waters. that's where we got giardia man
0: <laughs> no that was on the island remember
1: oh uh, yeah yeah You could
0: have probably contracted there too
1: oh you're talking about the beach in goa where he stuck yeah. in the cave yeah where yeah. they had the fresh water spring yeah, okay exactly.
0: yeah yeah Goa. Um, man thank you so much for taking the time i want to circle back to the premise of this whole episode which maybe went on tangent i don't care this was super fun just hashing it out with you and, and always and hearing what you're doing where you're at but two rules that we both believe, you know, all you really need to travel and to see the world is a passport and some time. And if you could leave the audience with some words of wisdom about the, what would I, that statement, you know, all you need is a passport and some time. What could you say to them to inspire them to go out there and, and find what they're looking for?
1: Is, uh, it have to be something along the lines of like, like, like expect to get to the bottom because once you're at the bottom, the only place to go is up and it's easier to move up than it is to maintain like a, like a high standard of living. So, so think of that because if you, if you get out there and cause it's hard to do in your own community because you have your reputation, you have your, you know, your, your idea of yourself and other, in the eyes of other people, if, if you actually let yourself go and be transient for a while and try to reinvent yourself a few times over to see if you can't find a better version of yourself, then, uh, then do that and, and, and get down to some bare nuts and bolts of it because where you have to go from that might not be as far up as you were first interested in going, which is going to take thousands of hours of you compromising who you really are to become. So if, if you go get to the bottom, which is sleeping, you know, under freeways and eating out of the back of, I know, I know that's extreme and it's not realistic that everybody grabs it, but just like, I don't know if it's just you by yourself, like reading a book with lim- with, you know, a $10 a day budget or something and, and you're out there and you, you find, you, you find a, a, a place where you get along quite fine and you're comfortable. That's your place. And it, for everybody, it's different. And, uh, and if you find it, it's, you're really lucky because you got to live with yourself the rest of your life. And if you're older and you never found it, and you might be striving for a lifestyle that isn't really right for you because you never realized, because you never tried anything else. And it's like we're alive too long for us to stop, to, or to us to, to, to really pursue one ideology for our entire lives. I mean, we have enough time where we can be a few different people and, and try a few different things, and you never know. It might be right for you, and, and go take the risk, I, I guess is what I'm saying. And I'm not sure what the, what the confinements, the boundaries I should put on that are, if any. But um, if it feels like it's right for you, then it's probably right for you. And if you're asking if it's right for you, then it's right for you. So, so go do it and become it and find the new, the new you who's, who you're going to live at peace with for the rest of your life.
0: Beautifully said, Johnny. Thank you so much for your time. Folks, he's also in episode 27. I'll put everything in the show notes for you to go and reference and hear more fun stories that John and I have shared in past episodes. Thank you again, my friend. Love you, dude.
1: Right on back at you, Tate. Much love.
0: Awesome, Johnny. Thank you for your time. Again, if you're a first time listener, please hit subscribe. If you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we would appreciate that. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. Head over to patreon.com/misfits and rejects, giving a monthly donation. Again, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. $1, $5, it's all appreciated. Uh, or buying a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, and you can do that at misfitsandrejects.com/shop. I love getting photos of individuals wearing the Misfits and Rejects logo around the world. Thank you for joining me today. I think you all are so very beautiful. I'll see you in next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. as usual. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that... I interview, inspire you to go out, spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it is the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time.